Deshaun Watson. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We'll be looking back on the fall from grace as the return of K-Jack collapses Houston at home to drop to 8-5. and five. Who are these 2019 Houston Texans? In search for consistency, three games to go. The playoffs start Sunday as we venture to Nashville to take on the history thieves. Playoff implication time as you get down to the the final the final quarter of the season and it wasn't a good one but welcoming in is Tom from Denver Broncos UK to help us break it down Tom how you doing mate doing good thanks for having me on uh, I'm probably doing a bit better than the Texans fans today so I think we uh, I think only averaging 20 24 points I think it was all season per game and racked up 31 at half time yeah it's the first time we've hit. 25 points we've gone 21 games without getting to 25 points so um yeah i'm not quite sure what your defense was doing at times in that first half but we definitely took advantage of it which made a nice change i think so i mean for drew Locke to come in and have you know effectively a three-man rush covers that couldn't corner and tight ends running free on crosses all day probably going to be good for his confidence and uh, it's probably going to set him up pretty well i think for the you know for the rest of the year and hopefully you can get a a true reflection of him having a, a sort of a positive start, two wins out of two, um, and a big uh, a big performance on the road, uh, albeit aided and abetted by a disastrous game plan from Romeo Cornell. He was twelve and one against rookies before this season, uh, and he's you know a masterful, experienced defensive coordinator. But for whatever reason, it seems like um, he's just kind of lacked at times. Great performance against New England, shut their offense down completely, and. Uh, and then guys like Court and Sutton and North and uh, and Fant kind of coming out and uh, introducing themselves to a legal hundred yard day. Yeah, all of Broncos country this morning is pretty hyped now with Drew Lock. Is all the you'll know all the struggles we've had since Peyton Manning left, and perhaps we've finally found the guy. But it is always difficult for opposing coordinators game plan on a guy who's made one start in the NFL and a few preseason appearances. So. He may struggle in the next few games as teams get more tape on him, but he's got so much confidence and uh, some of his throws, I think he made one bad throw, one bad decision in the whole game and it got picked off, which you expect from a rookie. But apart from that, he seemed to pick apart the Texans' defence and we've had struggle finding decent receivers outside Cortland Sutton. And I think he found... He hit ten different receivers in the game, so he's he's elevated the game of everyone on the offense. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think when Tashawn Gibson picked him off, it was I think he sort of floated one, didn't quite get his feet set, floated one in, and it was it was you know the receiver had time to turn round and then it dropped it at the safety's hand, so it was a throw he probably wants back. But at that point, that was the first time the Texans had managed to put a stop on the uh, the Broncos' offense all day. Now I think like the pick of Garrett Bowles has been. Uh, it's been panned by many. I think Dalton Reisler's come and given that bit of stability to that line, and he's, he was a player that I really wanted us to draft. And actually, yesterday, albeit, I mean, the Texas pass rush is is uh, is limited at best. Um, it was limited before what went out, uh, and now it's kind of next to nothing. Uh, we got one sack pulled back for a hole, and another sack the rest of the day. Didn't get too many hits registered on lock, and he had time to sort of you know pick his moments and. 
and the red zone packages were pretty good. I think the the frustration probably for much of the Texans fan base will be the, the dressing up of the linebackers and the dodgeball outfits before the game and they were probably closely followed by the secondary uh, as the worst part of the defence and the tight ends and uh, the running backs, you know, found short passes in the red zone and, and that just looked like we weren't going to be able to stop them. The Texas uh, red zone defence was not good this year at all. It hasn't been, but certainly it was uh, it was something that that uh, that they made they made made look easy work when it got down to the red zone and they didn't have too much trouble. They first get the ball and they, and they run a uh, they run a bootleg uh, play action pass to uh, um, to the tight end Fant. Um, Jonathan Joseph always picks the ball off. Uh, doesn't gives Fant an extra ten yards for for his troubles and uh, and they didn't really look back from there. Yeah, I, I have to say I was almost expecting to see that run back the end zone the other way initially before. Fant turned up field, so but you know just that's what Fant can bring. He's he's taken a lot of flack this season, especially from some experts. But again, he's a he's a rookie tight end, and he's on course for a, a very good rookie season now. It's his second hundred yard game, and he's he, he's such a fit, big, physical, and quick runner. He, he's a real mismatch for defenses, and as well, you mentioned the. Uh, Texans pass rush earlier, um, pass rush, but the uh, the Chargers didn't sack Locke once, so you, you went one better than them, and I think Drew Locke has actually made the Broncos O-line look better, because obviously when we had Flacco in there, he couldn't move at all, and Drew Locke, you, you saw he was able to escape on a couple of occasions and use his feet, and I think him being in there has helped the O-line and made them look a bit better than perhaps they are, and I, I still think the Broncos... We'll need to address that all line in a couple of positions in this year's draft. So, yeah, probably worrying that the Texans didn't do cause more damage, but still better than what the Chargers managed. Yeah, I think the Chargers being a funny team got a good win yesterday, but obviously with with uh, Melvin Ingram and both on the outside, you'd expect pressures. I've not seen us play that badly on defense for a good three or four years, and it was it felt like everything that the that the Denver offense did it kind of came together and 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 resulted in you know you know sizable chunk plays and there was very few uh, off schedule play calls that were had to be made because the Texans just didn't put enough pressure and get them you know behind the sticks. Yeah, I think the Broncos lost so many close games this week. There was one stat: the Ra- the Broncos are five and eight and the Raiders are six and seven, but. The Raiders have a minus one hundred and two point differential, and the Broncos are just minus twenty five. So they've lost a lot of close games and the defence took four or so weeks to figure itself out under Vic Fangio. So after that, we're 5-4 and four since the 0-4 start. So when you look at it from that, it's been a real upturn in form and with the schedule to go, we've got the Chiefs, then the Lions and Reds at home. So I could easily see the Broncos finish this year 7-9, and nine, which after starting 0-4 and then being 3-8 and eight would be would be a terrific end to the season, especially with Drew Locke. And you, you never know, he could go into Kansas City next week and spring another surprise against his uh, home state team. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was, it was certainly, from what I've seen, impressive. Obviously, he missed a lot of games. I think there's potentially some questions about his his character. I think potentially gets to, uh, could sort of rub people up the wrong way. But, I mean, you saw him with these Buzz Lightyear celebrations. He looked like he was having a good time out there. and You know, fair play on 309 yards on the day. And he was 
you know, probably they were the bit, although he was allowed to be the biggest factor in the game. I think this probably the second biggest factor was a guy who I was not happy that we let go. Supposedly walked out of the building without a contract offer. Um, was not a good corner at this stage of his career at 31 years old, but when played in safety, particularly the game at mile high, I remember a big hit early, and that was a real tone setter for the game. Okay, McManus missed a field goal late on, and it was a tight game, and the Texans walked out with a victory. But the the play when the ball's in front of him as a downhill thumper, an elite tackler, Kareem Jackson, is up there with the best in terms of attack, attacking the play when it's in front of him. Yeah, it seems like. Drew Locke's really galvanised the offence and Kareem Jackson now seems to have done the same on the defence. He missed a couple of games through injury and you could see the Broncos really missed him and yesterday was definitely his best game. I mean, I'm surprised in this day and age that that hit on Hopkins wasn't flagged for a penalty, but I'm glad it wasn't um, as I think most NFL fans will be glad that sort of play isn't flagged. But yeah, he's, he's such a you do not want to be running towards him or having to pick up a third and one, fourth and one with him there to hit because he's, he's stopped teams doing that so often. And then you saw him as well with a pick and is uh, how smart he was to call in for Atuacho to pass him the ball on uh, the uh, touchdown that he scored as well. That's probably the uh, play of the season for me uh, from Johnson causing the fumble to the actual handoff to allow the Broncos to score a touchdown. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was. I think. Well, O'Brien's come out today and said it was a weird play, and I think it was in many ways because there'd be a lot of crews that would say it was down. One of the refs supposedly told Kiki QT, the slot receiver. Now he's had some bad plays similar to that. He had one on the final drive in Indianapolis that basically killed the game. Uh, and he had one there that pretty much was the biggest swing play early on, you know, that all oh, these games come down to a handful of three or four plays, and that really just handed a huge advantage, 14-0 uh, on the road. Um, you don't have to chase the game at that point. You can, you know, pick the plays you want to pick and dictate this to on both sides of the ball the pace and the uh, and the style that you want. And it was an odd one, but, I mean, I, I quite liked Atachi. I thought he was a, a good player. I think, you know, he always come under a lot of criticism for, you know, uh, his, his various quarterback uh, attempts. But the last two drafts have been pretty good, I think, in just overall roster talent. And it seems like they're, you know, with Jeff Harmon had a good game as well. It looks like they're building quite a, a nice uh, a, a nice nucleus there of players if, you know, if Locke can maintain, obviously, his early days and he'll have much bigger tests, uh, you know, probably in training this week than he will do <laughs> than he did on Sunday. But... Um, yeah, I thought it was just have the wherewithal, hand it back to Kareem Jackson, and and uh, and he ran it in. Then he had a you know, albeit it was a tip ball, but he had a pick later on. He had some big tackles. Yeah, I mean, I I know what you mean about that hit. You don't want the best part of the game to be you know taken out of it. I mean, it comes down to safety, but I thought it was a fair clean hit to be honest. There wasn't too many complaints. Probably could have been flagged. So you know, you get those plays that go either way, and then. You know the Texans are chasing the game, and the, yeah, for whatever reason, run an empty set on fourth and one with two minutes to go, and in the in the half, and uh, you know that was probably the you know game set and match at that point because the there was just such a big point deficit that they gave up, and you know when they had the one, when Lindsay had the one yard run in to make it thirty uh, eight to three, yeah, that was it was done before then. So I think the fumble uh, or the or the you know incomplete catch or or then turned fumble um, that that gave the 14 lead then then you know pretty much handed the game there and then the Texans moved the ball reasonably well they just seemed to I thought the Denver defense Chris Harrison and, and uh 
in uh, Simmons on the back end. I think two really you know good players at their position. I think they did a really good job of taking the, the Texans' deep ball game away, um, and that limited us. And I think we just didn't get the tight ends involved enough. And and uh, and you know the, the the Broncos players gambled at times, but Watson was just not seeing the field well and watched them back. I wait to see the all twenty two tomorrow morning when it comes out, but. There was a lot of plays that fourth and one, and there was in a couple others where he had guys wide open, just wasn't seeing them. Yeah, we the the tight ends before this season has been a real Achilles heel for the Broncos, but I think bringing in Alexander Johnson and then Justin Simmons stepping up his game has has really helped to solve that. And Vic Fangio just seems to be able to turn players who pick him up off the street a lot of the times they've not made it on other teams and turn them into stars on this defence, like Alexander Johnson, Atuachu now, he's had a couple of really good games. Devontae Harris uh, was at cornerback before the last couple of weeks when Yadon managed to reclaim his spot, but he'd been playing very well there as well, and it just seems to be a next man up, and no matter who's injured, someone always seems to be stepping up and making the plays, and you know the cornerback depth, is a worry outside Chris Harris, who is probably his peak is probably slightly behind him now, and he's a free agent at the end of this year. So the Broncos will have to re-sign him or sign someone else. They definitely probably need to bring. In, I mean, Bryce Callahan's been on injured reserve, so it depends how he is next year. If he comes back as well, then makes this Broncos defense even more dangerous. And Justin Simmons is going to earn himself a lot of money this off season and. I imagine he, well, he should be going to the Pro Bowl as well. So I think this Broncos team are a lot better than the record suggests, especially if they could have had some competent quarterback play all year. Um, So I don't think it's the worst loss in the world for the Texans. Yeah, I think you're right on on Simmons. I think somebody's going to pay him. Obviously, the safety market reset itself last year. And, um, you know, there were some big contracts handed out there. Thomas, Ty Matthew, you know, that were definitely not there the year before um, where, the, where the market was, pre- was pretty static. So, yeah, I think you can see that. I think the cornerback market, obviously, Bradley Roby coming over to us didn't have a good game. The Texans were then looking a bit desperate, trying to rotate players in and out of the cornerback position. Didn't really work. Uh, Bradley had a great game against uh, New England out before Pick Brady off one, should have had a pick six, and then should have had another one and a sack on the game, um, but just didn't look like he was he was questionable during the week, so I don't know if he's still bothered by the hamstring injury, but he didn't look look, look like he was uh, playing a revenge game in the way that Kareem Jackson did it. And I mean, overall, I think as you said, is I mean, there's 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 no good losses and there's and there's and there's no bad ones either. They're all just the same. And Tom, thanks very much for your time. Have a good rest of the season, and if you ever have to play the Chiefs and Patriots in the playoffs, then uh, please beat them. Well, we'll we'll certainly be beating them both already this season. I think that's the frustration with Texas fans is we've seemed to to uh, to, to play up to the occasion and then potentially overlook some opponents with a lesser record and uh, the the win two lose one uh, repetition of our schedule continued Sunday. But we're looking to bounce back and uh, on to Nashville. Tom, thanks again. And joining us in the next section of the podcast, we're joined again by our good friend, young Ari Gold from the Texans Unfiltered podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Well, yeah, I think we just uh, we just had um, just had Tom from the Denver Broncos UK just uh, talking about the game a bit, and it's uh, 
I don't know, it's tough to take. It feels like we're almost have it or about to have the same conversation that we did uh, after the, the last time we spoke when it was a bit of a bad defeat. So it was probably, I wrote in the column this week that I thought potentially that's put Cronell on notice because that was one of the worst defensive performances I can remember for a long time from a Texans team. Yeah, I think, you know, imagine it like this, uh, EC. You know, um, I woke up or, or Saturday night, I decided, Tickets were really cheap. I grabbed my little guy, my seven-year-old. We drove down from Austin to Houston. We were super excited, right? We, we thought this game was going to be a good game to go to. Um, my seven-year-old got to play catch with J.J. Watt prior to the game. Super cool. All great start, right? Got to hang out with Mike Meltzer, Steph Stradley. Just a good good start to the day. And then <laughs> not but three minutes into the game, you're like, wow, okay, so this is happening. And, yeah, you're right. Like, from a defensive perspective, uh, you know, Romeo you know, Romeo has these games every year. Uh, it's, it's not new. This is, this is what happens with Iraq defense. He tends to have games where, you know, he gives up a ton of points and yards to teams that you shouldn't give up tons of points and yards to. You know, uh, all 22 came out today, so I haven't had a chance to, to watch the, the game I plan on doing that after we hang up and putting out a thread as I have some opinions on the offense and some things that I saw just from the first uh, half that I did rewatch yesterday. But yeah, the defense, I mean, no pass rush, right? Uh, you know, BMAC and coverage on Noah Fant, a uh, problem. Uh, it, it just all around, it just looked like the defense had no game plan whatsoever, you know, rotating corners in and out. It was just a mess. I didn't get, I just, well, for the life of me watching it back, as I said, I've not watched the all 22 yet today, but the whole rotation thing, it was done on both sides of the ball, and I, I, I can kind of get rotating corners because it's a bit more a fluid position, but at this stage of the season, to start messing about with the line, which has shown progression, to then swap two-fifths of that out, now, it just, to me, didn't make any sense. And then when you see O'Brien coming out and saying, oh, that worked quite well, and he was very uh, direct in his comments when he said the offense wasn't horseshit. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think with O'Brien, uh, he's a bit of a troll, right? I, I think with the press conferences and the media, he knows that uh, there's there's certain ways to get him riled up and, and how to uh, how to talk to him after a game, especially after a game like that. Um, you know, on offense, there was a lot of, lot of things, in my opinion, that went wrong. Um, I think Deshaun Watson deserves uh, 80 to 85 percent of the blame for how the offense performed on Sunday. Um, it's something that people tend to not want to talk about. You know, it's a sensitive subject when you bring up your star quarterback and you start to criticize some of the things that he's not doing on the field. And, um, you know, just rewatching the, the first half yesterday, you know, it, there was a lot that stuck out to me as far as Deshaun Watson. And when you just look at the bad games that we have on offense. Uh, really, there's one guy to point to. And, you know, I, I asked somebody yesterday or when I was at the game, you know, how many top five, top 10 franchise quarterbacks in the league have off games the way that Deshaun Watson has off games? You know, I've never seen it before. I've never seen it. I've never seen a franchise guy have five off games the way that Deshaun Watson has this season. Never. I mean, he's so up and down. I think it's a concern. That it's been a concern all year that he's a slow starter. And that's affected this team in so many ways. And that was the biggest 
glaring, you know, well, seismic glaring between the two teams was that Denver put up points in a hurry at the start of a game, and by the time we got going, it was just far too late. It was, you know, it was done, you know, midway through the second quarter, it was finished. And and what I struggle with is why are the highs so high and the lows so low? Why can we not find like an operational efficiency of an offense to find a happy medium when things aren't necessarily going well? We can still eke out field goals. We can still move the ball and run some time off the clock and not necessarily have the defense back on the field so quickly because we moved the ball at the start of the game, but they just consistently didn't find a way to to score, and they've done that all season. So. And the, and actually in the call I know we talked about it the last time and actually on the broadcast they said oh they like to script the the first few plays I don't think they do I think O'Brien is too caught up in I'm the smartest man in the room it's a game plan offense we're looking to catch the weaknesses out and O'Brien does take a big big element of the play call and we'll come kind of on his wider discussion again as well because it's just you know a familiar theme but what I find difficult to swallow in many ways is that when this team isn't going well it just seems to all kind of fall apart. And from the from the way in which O'Brien calls the plays is one thing. And he's, you know, he's maybe 50-60% or, you know, or Deshaun 50 or 60%. I'm not quite sure where the blame lies because the, out, the end result is consistent. But the performance on the field is not consistent. And the question has to be asked, and I, knew, I know you guys have raised it on your podcast, and it keeps resonating with me, and it was so clear on Sunday. At what point does Deshaun deserve criticism for being a fair-weather quarterback? Because we can all play well when the going's good, but he has to be able to find a gear or an offensive package or sets of formations or matchups that they like that they know they can go to in a pinch. Because at the minute, it kind of feels like if it's all working, Fuller's on the field, yeah, we can probably hang with most people. When Fuller's not there, the the, the drop-off in play and the, the, the ability for Watson to see the field was terrible. There was so many times on Sunday where he missed guys wide open. And... He just didn't see them. He just doesn't read the field. He shuts off. He, he's, he's scrambling around too much. Doesn't you know release the ball on time. And the whole offensive game plan goes out the window. And I just think that was another example of that. And that's the fifth defeat of the season. I would only, I'd probably only say four of them, probably only three of them, to be fair, have been like that. Carolina, uh, the Baltimore game, and then on Sunday. The other two defeats, you know, you can take some positives out of them. But those three defeats have been real lows. And you, know, you struggle to take positives out of them. Yeah, I think I would also put the Colts, the the first game against the Colts in there. Yeah, I know that we did some good things, but um, just when you look at Deshaun's performance in that game, um, I, I would group that in there. But, uh, you know, what I noticed, and let's just kind of go to the first drive of, of the game um, for the Texans offense. You know, they're moving the ball, right? They're, they're driving. I think they get down to the 45, I believe. Uh, well, they get, they get down to the 40. Then there's a false start. It's... Uh, I think it was third and five. Then it ends up being uh, uh, third and ten. And the all twenty-two is going to be great. I can't wait to see this play on the all twenty-two because unfortunately the broadcast really just doesn't show everything that you want to see. But on that play specifically, uh, on the third and ten, uh, on the forty-five, uh, Kenny Stills is lined up to the left, and uh, Kiki's in the slot, and DeAndre's on the outside, and uh, Deshaun snaps the ball. And Kenny runs up and then inside. He runs a, a nice inside route. Uh, he's probably about eight yards downfield. He has, he's open, and Deshaun just doesn't see it, doesn't make the throw. And a lot of things could have happened on that play. That play specifically was one of the plays that really started to make me 
really think about Deshaun Watson and his development in the areas that he has to improve on. And, you know, sure, if he's short of the sticks, uh, right, you know, the drive ends. But, you know, the drive could have ended, you know, if he's eight, you know, two yards shy, it could have ended at a field goal. Or if uh, the cornerback would have missed the tackle or Kenny made somebody miss, that could have extended the drive and he got the first down. There's so many hypotheticals in the situation. And I think looking back, when I look at this game uh, and watch it later today, I really think that there's going to be a lot of what that play specifically uh, we're going to see a lot of things very similar to that. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, at what point is, one, the criticism that Deshaun deserves, you know, when are we going to send it his way? And I think it's, I think fans are starting to see it. You know, Houston is a city where you don't tend to criticize your superstars. Uh, you know, I grew up in L.A., so we, we, I, I criticized Kobe. You know, we criticized everybody. It's just, it's a part of a winning culture. Nobody's safe. It, you expect greatness from your great players and your superstars. And, um not getting it on a consistent basis is an issue. And one of the biggest areas that Deshaun is, is lacking in right now is his inability to uh, anticipate his throws. You know, it, it's not about always making the throws to where DeAndre Hopkins is wide open on the 30 with nobody by him. Those are throws that an average quarterback should make, right? It's about anticipating the routes and understanding where your wide receivers are going to be and putting the ball there and uh you know leading and and sometimes you have to throw your wide receivers open and Deshaun doesn't do that that's not something Deshaun does and it's something he has to get better at his reads the way he goes through his reads he tends to lock on his first option whether it's DeAndre or Duke it doesn't really matter uh he tends to lock on them and then when that's not there he starts to panic in the pocket he's got to be able to go through his progressions a little bit quicker and hit the open guys and you know, we see it at times, and that's the part that frustrates me as a fan and as somebody that's covering the team is, you know, we see it in New England. And, you know, when it's the quick passing game, no huddle, uh, he tends to see the field better. But he has to also take that and do it on a consistent basis. It can't just be when, you know, a lot of people on Twitter were coming at me telling me, you know, it's all Bill O'Brien. Everything's Bill O'Brien's fault. Bill O'Brien this, Bill O'Brien that. And I, I totally get it. I understand that there are frustrations with Bill O'Brien. I'll be the first to admit it that, you know, after the Baltimore game, I was almost completely off, uh, hopping off the bandwagon. Uh, but I did say, you know, if we beat the Patriots and the Colts, I'd, I'd start to, you know, get back on. And I really think that Deshaun Watson has to take that next step in his development as a quarterback for this team to get to where they want to be. And at this point, we haven't seen it. Now, he's three years in the league. He's 24. You could basically scratch his, his rookie season, right? So if we take his rookie season out and just go based off of last year and this year, this year is his sophomore slump. Every quarterback has it. Uh, this is This is kind of how it works. And I think we're just starting to see that you know, he has areas in his game that he needs to work on. And whether it's the coaching or Deshaun, Deshaun has to take it on his own, in my opinion. I don't think that you have to depend on the coaching staff to make him better. Yeah, it's difficult because he's he's shown times where he can read the field, but it was just so clear that for whatever reasons, Stills has fallen out of favor with him because there's been there was times in the Colts game on the Thursday night where we won, there was two plays back-to-back he didn't go to him, uh, a third and a fourth down attempt. There was multiple times where he was open in the Baltimore game. There was multiple times he was opening from the from the broadcast that I watched, and he just seems to have not been able to find them. And I, whatever the reasons that are behind that, I don't know. 
but he certainly just seems to not be able to find that just that medium level of efficiency that can keep you know drives alive and keep this team in the game because ultimately you know Deshaun masks a lot right he's given the front office and O'Brien and the committee confidence to go and aggressively chase holes in, in the roster composition and they've done and they, and they have tried that but the problem is when he doesn't play to the level that he's capable of some of the other holes that they've not filled and it's not necessarily a deep roster one to 53 becomes so apparent and when we start slow like we did it just feels like that he doesn't he doesn't reach a mental space where he can just pull the team back up from a mire and take a step forward and say, guys, we're going to get back into this drive-by-drive, play-by-play and just have that consistent, slow-burning approach. It just seems to be kind of explosive, good at times and other times not so much. And it, it's difficult because he, you're right, he wasn't seeing the, the reads across the field. He led Hopkins just about a season-ending concussion when Kareem Jackson's come in and absolutely smoked him. Yep. Um, he, he led him into the oncoming safety. You know, and that's just kind of basic stuff. I remember when Tom Savage did that at home against the Colts where Will Fuller took one in the chest and, you know, basically broke a rib and he hardly played for the rest of that season. And he was lambasted for that, whereas, you know, Watson, as he said, it's, it certainly seems to be a thing in Houston that the, the, uh, the star players get a free pass, good or bad. And it was, I mean... Look, Deshaun wasn't the biggest issue on the field, but ultimately our team is based around him, so he is the issue. You know, if he plays well, we win. If we don't, if he doesn't play well, we don't win. And many teams are like that with their quarterback. But we are so entrenched in his ups and downs, it's going to show on the scoreboard every week. And the defense just wasn't there to get enough stops. And I don't know. I know you and I exchanged some tweets, and you know, you said you can't live in the past, but I think that was a stark reminder from Kareem Jackson when the plays in front of him. As an elite tacker and an elite tackler, and somebody coming downhill, he can still play at this level, and he pretty much swung the game on his own. If you put the uh, the uh, streaking uh, tight ends across the middle against uh, slower tight ends to one side, because that was just something they feasted on all day, and I think you and I probably could have picked up some yards regardless of Drew Locke, but Jackson put on a show and he played angry and he and he made a point I think because I you know it was clear he didn't want to leave and he felt like he was forced to take a contract somewhere else and he put on a, a big time performance interception fumble return for a touchdown and a couple of big third down stops. Yeah, Kareem Jackson, um, you know, it, you, me and you have talked about it yeah, on Twitter and you know we talk about clowning we talk about we you know, we have revisionist history when when we. You know, when it comes to these players and, and Kareem, you know, as much as everybody, you know, it's funny. It's really funny when you just kind of talk about how uh, Texans fans act in general. You know, there was a ton of bashing of Kareem on Sunday as if uh, he hasn't played great games for us. You know, last year he really was one of the brightest spots on our defense when it came to him being moved to safety. And it was one of the players that I really thought. I thought entering free agency that would be the one player we would focus on, and I was wrong. And you know, it was Tyron Matthew, and uh, you know, Cream didn't even receive a phone call from the front office after nine years of being with the team. Um, yeah, Cream had had a game. You know, Cream probably had this this game circled from the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, these players are emotional, uh, you know, moving their family and, and things like that. They're all things that people don't take into account. You know, he, he was in Houston for nine years, has a family, has kids, uh, had a foundation here, did a lot of things for the city. And then, you know, after nine years moving on to another city because he didn't get a phone call from, uh, the previous, uh, you know, franchise he was with, you know, 
he definitely was ready to come and play, and he showed it yesterday. And he showed exactly what he showed us last year. Maybe it wasn't a fumble return for a touchdown and things like that, but last year when he played safety for us, he brought that dog mentality. And this defense is missing some very, you know, that exact that exact characteristic is missing on this defense. We don't have a dog on our defense. We don't have a guy that we know is going to line up and, and t- you know, hit the wide receiver the way he hit DeAndre that day. And it, it kind of sucks to see, right? Uh, you draft a player, you develop a player, and then you just kind of let him walk. Uh, you know, we'll get a third-round comp pick for him, which is great, but uh, you're probably not going to get a player to the level of Kareem Jackson. But good for Kareem. Uh, he played a hell of a game. Uh, I mean, he really was all over the field. Uh, and, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, how much of his his knowledge of the offense played a part in De- in Denver's defense against this offense? Well, he's, his best buddy looked like another game, but it's time to hang up, hang up the cleats because they just went after Joseph so much that they took him out and they claimed it was a rotation. But I just can't see... O'Brien taking out a corner piece like that and Joseph uh, as part of a planned rotation. I, I know there was one point him and Roby were both off the field, which made no sense to me. But they certainly went after Joseph in a way that was always a weakness. And you can imagine that came from Kareem. And there was a couple of times where there was just quick curl routes. The one on uh, on Fells on the third down where, you know, Kareem just read that perfectly. And, you know, t- to be able to do that with such time and anticipation to take a guy the size and weight of fells down like that, it was it was almost like he could see it coming. So I think that did play a part. I mean, obviously a small part in the overall execution of the offense because there's another, you know, ten matchups out there if you like that could have been exploited and weren't. But yeah, it was. It was I mean, yeah, I mean, I always liked Kareem Jackson. He did get a lot of attention. I remember we were in the in Kansas City the the day before the game, and this guy. He said he was from Houston, came up to us and said, you know, I'm so glad they ran off that Kareem Jackson. I said, and I said to him, well, I think that's unfair because he, he was good at safety and he, and he brought a mentality, to, you know, a hard-hitting mentality to the game. The game in Denver, we played them last year, we won with, you know, by them missing a last-minute field goal. He set the tone early in that game with a big hit and you saw the reaction of his teammates on the defence and what that meant to them and how that, you know, got them hyped and got, you know, and put in a good performance. So... It's 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 a shame because you, you, as you said, you, when you nurture your own talent via the draft, and that's the the hardest bit to get right, and building a roster, and you run him off, and then he comes back and haunts you like that. It was a big factor in the game. I think the defense as a whole was terrible. We touched on BMAC earlier on. It doesn't often have bad games, but when they're all turning up, uh, like the, the finished article um, in fancy dress, it's great. Like you come up in costumes, and yeah, okay, yeah, it's a it's a good laugh. But when when it comes to the point where you play that badly as a linebacker unit was probably the worst performance of the season. They've been a strength of this team, but it was just another part that let the team down. And then all these things like coordinated costumes seem a bit uh, in, in vain when you've not got your assignments down. And uh, most of the uh, most of the attacks came at tight ends and running backs getting wide open and some of them walk it, walking in scores. Yeah, I think... You know, I know that that's that's that seems to be the path that a lot of people take. You know, I, I I enjoy it. I think from a fan perspective, it's cool what they do before the game. Uh, you open yourself up for this criticism, right? When when games like this happen, uh, but then you also open yourself up for you know a good laugh and, and like they did with the SWAT team prior to the Patriots game. Uh, you know, they played their best game last week. The defense as a whole played their best game last week against the Patriots. This week, you know, I don't I don't know. 
how much I put on the linebackers and, and especially when you think about just rack and the game plan that was implemented. Um, you know, I think that the linebackers were put in a position where it was going to be extremely tough for them to succeed. And we've seen it for the last five years with Bernard Drake McKinney. We love BMAC. He's, I, I think he's the top five inside linebacker in this league. I really believe that. I think Zach Cunningham is on the rise. Um, he's, he's my favorite player on the defense. Uh, but, you know, when you're putting him in coverage against a a freak of an athlete, Noah Fant, I mean, he's really not. I know he hasn't had an amazing season, but when you look at the turnstile at quarterback uh, that they've had and just, you know, him be, it being his rookie year, Noah Fant is, is going to be a problem in this league. He's a really good tight end. And, you know, he showed it. He had 120 yards. I think there was another 70 yards with the running backs. It just it seemed like Rack had no feel for how this game was going to go and didn't have his defense prepared. Yeah, I think when, when you're going up against an F tight end that was taken in the first round to put your linebacker, who's not the most mobile out of the guys on your roster, when a safety or a corner was a far you know, more equal matchup. It, you're exactly right. I just think it seemed like that there was not... I still don't know what the game plan is watching the game. I watched the game back twice on the broadcast and I don't know what the game plan was because whatever it was wasn't executed and the matchups that they exploited, they made it look easy and it was kind of like Baltimore 2.0. And I think as well, Rack, he's 72 now. Always felt when Pagano came in, I know he's kind of assistant slash special assistant slash linebacker coach, but always felt like he was going to come in the building and potentially take over. Or Anthony Weaver, I think either of them probably... I think Weaver's potentially a head coach in the ma- a head coach in the making, but um, just with the way in which he speaks to the media, and you know he's done a good job with the line. But um, I think yeah, I don't know if his time's up. I know it's kind of a debate that on- that is ongoing. Has the game passed him by uh, at his stage of the career? And I think I mean the, the, again, it's the same as the offense, though, isn't it? It's the the high of last week where they had a, f- a fantastic game plan against the Patriots, shut out Edelman to a degree. I mean, I know he still had a, a yardage wise a decent game. Uh, but you know there was largely an effect to you know stop James White from in the game, and it kind of you know pushed Brady to throw to guys that he wasn't that comfortable with, and you know we we dominated them for a large part of that game. But last week was just you know or Sunday just gone was just the complete you know antithesis of that, and it's it's tough when when the when the highs are so high and the lows are so low because you know the you know what's 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 not been consistent is our output on the field, but what has been consistent in this O'Brien era, and it continues to be that case of, case of a feeling of progress, just like you said, you'd be back on the bandwagon if we could, or not the bandwagon, but you know, we'd be back on board with O'Brien if they they beat, they beat the Colts, they beat the Patriots. And I kind of felt like the same. I felt like our season was in a good point. Now we're still chasing, chasing the pack from behind in terms of the standards, but it gives a good chance. And of all the games to lose, if you, you know, polled 100 Texans fans, how many of them would have picked that one if they could only pick one? And it just so happens that the second you feel like you're making progress, it comes to a grinding halt very so quickly in a manner which, you know, is reasonably depressing <laughs> for for many of us. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I think we need to take into consideration, and, and we see it a lot in this league in general, is just... When you come off such an emotional win, you know, you saw Bill O'Brien get the game ball from Deshaun. You saw, you saw Bill O'Brien was teary-eyed. The whole locker room was super excited. They knew how much this game meant to Bill O'Brien, how much it meant to them against the Patriots. <laughs> you have to wonder how much of that led into this week. 
right? Uh, you know, it, it really it happens often in the NFL when you when teams have big wins like that, uh, they tend to kind of come back down to earth a little bit in that following week, and it, they're riding a high that uh, gets them to a point to where they're just they're mentally not in the space that they need to be in for this game. And yeah, you know, we shouldn't have lost this game. Uh, we should have won this game. We're a better team than the Broncos. I do think that the the future is probably bright for the Broncos. I, you can't say anything really about Drew Lock yet, as far as you know him only playing two games. But when you look at the roster that they have and the players that are on that team, I think that they have they're they're not as far off as a lot of people think, um, and that's saying a lot considering how bad John Elway has been. But yeah, it's disappointing. It's disappointing considering you know the Patriots lost to the Chiefs and. You know, it's very reminiscent of the Eagles game last year. Uh, you know, we had a chance to um, get a bye. And, you know, what happens? You know, we lose to the Eagles. And this week, we lose to the, a team that we shouldn't have lost to um, at a time where we had an opportunity to take another step in the right direction as far as getting a bye. And, and the team doesn't show up to play. And, you know, this week, you have a, a matchup against a AFC South division rival in the Tennessee Titans and they're playing good football right now. And so uh, from a fan perspective, you're thinking, okay, what, you know, which team will show up? You know, there's a trend with this team. They lose one game, they win two games, they lose one game, they win two games. And you have to wonder, you know, is this team going to be prepared and ready to beat the Titans? Because if there's any chance of a playoff uh, run happening with this team, it, you know, it comes down to Sunday and obviously there, you know, we could lose this game and then beat the bucks and beat the Titans in the final game and make the playoffs and win the division. But, you know, I, I really hope that that's not the approach. I really hope the approach is let's come out, let's be prepared. Let's win this game. Let's beat the bucks. Let's win the division and, you know, have another week to either rest our guys or, uh, you know, maybe something crazy happens and there's a chance for a bye. but uh, I don't see it. I don't see a way for us to get a bye now. Um, but you know, it's a week to week league. Anything can happen. Hopefully this team shows up Sunday. I, I really don't, I don't know if we're about to get into the Titans or not. So I'll, I guess I'll hold and, and let you kind of take it where we're going and then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of comment. No, I mean, let's, let's move on to the Titans. I think we've probably said as much as we, we can on that disaster Sunday. There was, it just felt like, you know, the final note on it. I think it was the worst time to lose a game because, you saw Kansas City then go to beat the Patriots, so therefore we've got the head-to-head advantage against both those teams. It was, but obviously then we were reliant on Buffalo to then beat New England at one point in the running because the running's relatively easy. Uh, New England then, just as their whole season has been with the, the other two games of the last year, the Bengals and the Dolphins. So you know you think that's two wins surely. You know without any, you know, but we've seen more upsets in the past. But you think the Bills is probably the only one to lose. But if they had lost that, then we, you know, there would have been four teams potentially sitting at twelve and four, um, and we would have, you know, we would have probably snuck in uh, on the second seed uh, based on the head to head. So yeah, I, it, it's it felt like a blow and it felt like a loss at the worst time. But I think I, as I put in my column this week, I think the reality of the change probably is minimal. It feels like a bad loss in the way in which O'Brien described as an avalanche, um, which I don't know if that was any hint of irony or not from a team from Colorado, but it, it felt like 
again, you know, the rug was pulled from our feet in terms of the, you know, playoff aspirations or anything, be you know, beyond that, which you know might be just wishful thinking um, and a bit perhaps foolish, but. It, it just seemed that, that that was the worst time to lose a game at the, en- at the end because we potentially could have dropped one of the Titans if we'd have won that and still had a chance to, to win the division. So, yeah, I, the the 49ers win actually was probably the biggest implication for us because now that means when Tennessee play them in week 16 um, that they need, they're probably going to need to win that game to try and get an automatic seed. So actually that helped us in that sense. So really, I mean, if we take care of business and the and the Titans lose uh, against the Saints, then we've we've got a you know we've got a task of the Tampa Bay Bucks, who looks like Winston had been playing well, but potentially hurt his hand. And I've just seen today that that uh, Evans is out for the rest of the year, the former Texas A and M receiver. So yep. I think he he looked. I mean, you watched on the replay; it looked like somebody he'd either he'd either got shot in the leg or he'd uh, pulled his hamstring or tore it or something like that. So just like you saw the Alshon Jeffrey one, and you know you could you don't need to be a medical expert to know that they're done. So um, you know they might they might be underhand and their seasons potentially you know is is arguably already written off. So could it be a game we go in there and win? But again, it's just the highs and lows of this team. But moving on to this Sunday, which effectively is playoff football starting right now. What Texans are going to turn up now? We've always been good in the in the divisional games. That's probably been the biggest strength of O'Brien's career here. Is that divisional games we've shown up with a good game plan, and we and we've taken it to these teams in the past. But watching the Titans on Sunday again put up you know forty plus points. Part of me thinks when's this Tannehill surge going to end, or is he now in the right situation that he never had in Miami? And this is a true reflection of them. I don't know. What do you think? Well, here's what I think. I think the Titans are very similar to the Texans in the way that they perform. Um, you know, they they lost to the Bills, uh, they lost to the Panthers, uh, they lost to the Broncos. Like this team's very similar. Uh, they barely beat the Bucks. Um, they barely beat the Chiefs. So when I look at this team, I think that yes, they are playing at a high level. Uh, I do think that Ryan Tannehill is a different quarterback and kind of re, re, you know revitalized their offense. I I still don't buy into the fact that Tannehill is the answer. Uh, I know that's somewhat blasphemy as everybody's really riding on uh, Ryan Tannehill right now, but I think it's the perfect situation for a quarterback to go into. You know, they have a great running game, good offensive line, their defense is playing pretty good, and uh, all they needed was just average to above average quarterback play to really make some noise i think you know there's a there's a lot of aspects to this game that are matchup nightmares for the texans just based on what we've seen over the last four weeks uh our inability to be able to stop the run is going to be a problem uh but you know just looking back at you know when we've played the titans um derrick henry really outside of the game last year where he ran in wildcat um, has never really had great games against us. And I think that the Texans, you know, you asked, you said earlier, you know, has the game passed by rack? And I think that's, it seems to be a, a common question right now. And when I look at certain games this year, it, it, it makes me wonder if, if that's true or not, because you look at the Patriots game and the game plan against the Patriots and you can't, you know, at that, if you just look at that game, you can't say that, the game has passed rack by, you know, it was a very, very good defensive game plan. Yeah, you look at the chiefs, you know, there's a lot of examples of, of 
this defense showing that they can do things. And, you know, last time we talked, we talked about the secondary and the potential of it. And I still think that the potential of the secondary is very high. Uh, I, I, I really do. I think that there's, I think that we have our corners for the future for, for quite some time. Um, it's going to come down to being able to stop the run and forcing Ryan Tannehill to throw. Um, and I think this team can, I think we'll beat them. Um, I think we, you know, we're going to have to start fast, which is something we haven't done all season. I think we still only have three points on our opening drive, uh, through, um, 13 games. So, you know, is it there for us? But if we start fast and we start to score, I, I don't know if the Titans offense can keep up. And I think that that's really kind of where I believe this will this will go. You know, Wolf Fuller should be active. Um, I would like to see Kiki. I know we didn't talk about Kiki uh, a lot. I know he seems to be back in the in the doghouse for people. Uh, I liked what I saw from Kiki on Sunday. And I know that, you know, there wasn't a lot of bright spots in the offense. I know he, he had the fumble. Uh, so therefore you're, you're automatically as a fan thinking, get him off the field. But when you just look at where he was at, it looked like he was running his routes, right? Um, looks like he was very decisive and had an understanding on where he needed to go. And, um, he was open, he was open quite often. And I'd like to see Kiki in the lineup this week as I think as much as I love Kenny stills, I think Kiki just adds a different dimension to this offense. And when you can run Kiki Deandre and Will Fuller out there, and then you add the tight ends and Duke, I just think it's a matchup nightmare for any team. And I think that that'll be the case. And uh, I do believe that we'll win this game. And I think this will be one of those games that we show up. And then the following week, you have the Bucks. And so I, I think this team can do it. And I guess you have to ask yourself this question. If, if the Texans can't do it, where does that leave the Texans? You know, if the Texans can't beat the Titans this week, from a franchise perspective, where are we? I don't know if it, I think it's similar to the, Colts game on the Thursday night that it's almost not worth thinking about again I think it's just going to be a must win mentality and it's a got to have it game and if they do lose then you know that's the you know then okay we have to go on the road in the playoffs potentially or not even make the playoffs which you know if you think where this team was two or three weeks ago or even prior to the if you take the Baltimore game out of it that would seem reasonably unplausible based on the way some of the games have gone you know so I, it's this the starting fast thing. I think that's where it comes back to is the Titans' run game is the is the core of their offense. So therefore, if they've got to chase a game, just like any offense, but you know when you're so reliant on the run as they are to set up the play action, then can you know that 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 style of offense does not lend itself well to well to chasing games. The the Derrick Henry run, can we get back to the fundamentals and, you know, DJ Reader, Blackston, DJ Dunney, can they st- start, you know, defending the run like they were early in the season? Because I know we've had some bad matchup problems, but we, we need to get back to that because that was a strength that we could rely on and it it, it helped the defence uh, out a lot and it's, it's we've kind of got away from that for whatever reason. And the, you know, if Rat can't, you know, have a solid game plan against a team that we play twice a year, then I think that'll definitely answer that question. Because the the system they're running is not that different uh, to what it was when when Mario was in there. It's just I think Tannehill's a more accurate passer. He's a bit smarter, 
um, just with his years in the league, he's probably not had the same, quite as, as many you know sort of beatings and, and health scares that Mario has had. And I think Mario's got ability, and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes somewhere else and plays well. But I think that the criticism of Tannehill has always been he takes too many sacks and potentially his ball security is not there. And then when he has to throw a high volume of passes, his accuracy dips. So can Rack put a game together that's that, that's enough to keep this team in the game and hand the offense the ball to do it? I think he can, and I think he probably will. But, you know, it starts with stopping the run. And I think, you know, you touched on the wildcat there with Derek Hendry and... You know, and I don't know if you remember in the same game there was a trick play where they it was they faked a punt and ran it in for a touchdown. I think Vrabel is although he ran a good defense into the ground when he took it over in Houston, he seems like he's done a pretty good job as a head coach, particularly now where they're on a five and one streak. He always seems to have in some big games kind of trick plays and 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 sort of off 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 piece kind of kind of things up his sleeve. I mean, I know it, it bounced back against him, but if you think they tried to hand it off quickly to the fullback at the line, seemed like a bit contrived. Did that, got stuffed. I think he handed it off to the tight end actually, and then obviously Lamar Miller took it ninety nine yards and on the on the on the first game after McNair had passed. So you know, I think he he's definitely got a propensity to to catch us out on plays that they've probably not seen before. And you know that that does worry me a bit because we've not been the most prepared team, um, and that certainly swung that game last year. But that road game last year, we should have won that game. There was no excuses for not not winning that. So yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's a tough game on the road. I think because they're because they're in such form, and we've been up and down with our form. That's the 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 thing that sticks in the back of my head uh, that potentially you know we could we could you know go behind not start fast and then they just start running the clock out with Hendry and you know we're chasing the game and having to you know stretch stretch the, the playbook out to its finer its finer ends and uh, and go but I think if Fuller comes back I think that's the that's that, that's the key I mean it always has been the season now we need to find a way to be not so reliant on Will because you know it's 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 a huge contrast when he's in there and when he's not and I think like what you said on Kiki as well I think he just gives this offense a balance as a three wide receiver set with with Fuller and, and Holt because as you said neither of them are quite as quick you know quick and sharp off the off the line you know cutting inside as 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 Kiki is he just needs to be more consistent and I felt sorry for him when when it when it was that fumble it could have easily been down on another day you've seen other catches like that where they've just you know told to play on. But it was good. They kept putting them back in there. I thought he would just disappear, but they did keep putting them back in there. So that alone, I think, potentially uh, makes me think he might have made it out of the dreaded doghouse. But you never know. You never know with O'Brien. But he certainly seemed to get his fair share of snaps on, on Sunday. So I hope we can go in and make, make a good account of ourselves because if we lose this game, it's going to be a, a long, long way back and the final two two weeks of the season are not going to be... Uh, are not going to be fun, and and the Titans fans are bullish on on this team and where they're, where they're playing right now. They're they're going into this with a lot of confidence. Yeah, no, Titans fans have a reason to feel good, right? I mean, uh, you know, they saw what what they had with Mariota for a while, and you know, whether it was injury or other parts of the game that impacted his development, I think that uh, I do think that he has the talent. I'm sure he'll go to a team that can get the most out of him. You know, we see it, you know, every year uh, in this league, and uh, I think he'll be fine, but yeah, with Tannehill and he's playing at a high level, uh, they have you know the weapons around him, and you know Titans fans should feel pretty good about this. Uh, I just think that the Titans, when it comes to talent, are nowhere near as good as the Texans, and I think at the end of the day, I think the talent will prevail this Sunday. I I really 
believe that the, te- the Texans will win. Uh, everybody will feel a lot better. Uh, luckily, we have Tony Romo calling our game for the first time this season, which is always fun. Uh, he calls a great game and really gives you a really good view of you know what you're looking at. So it'll be a fun game. Obviously, a division rival, former Oilers, all that good stuff built into it. And it'll be the first time we played the Titans this season. So um, it'll be fun. But the Texans should pull this one off. And then, you know, if not, you know, you and I will be having another conversation, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, it seems odd that they've scheduled the season in this way that we had to play twice in the last three weeks because probably, you know, if you, again, if you pulled 100, you know, experts, shall you say, would they have said it was coming down to the Texans and the Titans? Potentially not. Um, so I don't quite know how that worked out that way, but it's certainly a doubleheader that's going to, that's that's going to define the season at this point now that we're sitting eight and five and we're probably underachieved now we've got a chance to to match last year's win total but you know really I think the goal should have been to improve that if we're looking if we're looking to progress it's interesting you say about Romo actually because I think when you look back at the games when there's a build up and there's a, a media intrigue I think that makes and I I, I don't think it's I don't this is this isn't this isn't necessarily a compliment but I think this makes Deshaun play better because he has the pre-match, uh, the the pre-game uh, interview, and they talk they talk about the X's and O's, and then it, it feels like he's got a point to prove, and he wants to be you know he want he wants his name to be to circulated in these circles of you know respected individuals, and Romo's definitely done that when he stepped into the booth about how well he reads the game, how well he can see plays pre-snap, and obviously you'd expect that from an NFL level quarterback, and he was you know he's probably one of the sort of top five to ten quarterbacks of level of play um, particularly as an undrafted guy that never won a Super Bowl but I think you know intrigue and media hype around the games I think makes Deshaun play better because when you see him on prime time he always plays well invariably um, but these other games these down games these 12 o'clock slow slow stadium fillers when people are you know being out the night before or you know by the time they get parked up in the tailgate and make their way in I think the the games at NRG this season at at a 12 o'clock kickoff, don't have the same feel to them. Uh, and I think that affects his play. Now, that's something he needs to address because you can't, you can't live your live your life as an NFL quarterback at only playing well in the big games because it will come back to bite you because you won't make the, you won't make the championship game or you won't make the, the seed in the playoffs that will help you get there. But I think games like this where there's a bigger hype around it and it is a winner-takes-all in many ways because um, I can't see... If the Saints need a win, I can't see the Titans going to to put on a show against them. So I think that's in our favour. The Bucks injuries, I've got a feeling we'll get there and we'll have to watch the old classic uh, three o'clock or uh, early Saturday playoff game that we've uh, that we've been accustomed to when we get there. Yeah, I think the 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 best thing that can happen for this team when it comes to the playoffs is that they, you know, they. We play the Patriots on Sunday night. Somehow the Patriots don't get a bye, um, and we're we're playing the Patriots. That would be a Sunday night game. But outside of that, you know, given who's in the the wild card race right now, what what is it? It's the Steelers, the Chiefs. I think it's Steelers, Chiefs, Titans, maybe. Um, you know, any of those matchups against the Texans, you're playing at Saturday on Saturday at three o'clock, and that that has to make you. Based on you know what we've seen from Deshaun in the past, that has to make you somewhat concerned because when he you know it has you know when he's not playing at night, he you know he's average and it's it's it sucks to say that 
And, you know, you have to wonder what plays into that. And hopefully it's something that he figures out. But, you know, it's it's interesting because, yeah, you know, we do play on Saturday at three. That's that's the way it goes, because, you know, fans won't want to hear. But we've never shown a reason that we should be anywhere else. I mean, I mean, as it stands, obviously, we'd have to if the if the season finished today, we'd be going back to Baltimore, which I don't think anybody wants. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. We've got a, three more weeks to figure out what this team is going to do, and hopefully they don't disappoint. Hopefully, you know, I really thought, not to go back too far, but I really thought that the Patriots was going to be the game that we built on. And, uh, you know, you see it every year, the teams that go into the playoffs, um, clicking on all cylinders, you know, riding a win streak. Those, you know, they have the momentum in their favor. And I really thought that the Patriots game would have been that for us. And, um, it, it's not right. We lost to the Broncos, but I still think that there's a chance here with, with three games left, you know, two of them being pretty important. You know, they have a chance here to go on a run, which is needed to be successful in the playoffs. We see it year in, year out and, and just hope that this team can, can, can make the run that they're capable of making. And unfortunately, we find ourselves having the conversation where capable seems to be in the conversation way too much because of the inconsistencies of this team. But at the end of the day, that's all you want to see. You want to see D4 in the playoffs and what he can do. And we hope that, you know, last year's playoff performance isn't something that we continue to see. And the more chances, you know, that he has in the playoffs, the better off this team will be. And hopefully (coughs) these next three weeks, we take care of business and, are riding a high going into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, avoiding the last season one and done, I think that's, you know, in many organisations that would potentially put Brian in a difficult conversation. But with Cal, I think it would have to take losing the last three to probably get to that situation, you know. But as you said about momentum, the the, the number two team in terms of momentum in the AFC right now is Tennessee um, after after Baltimore on a win streak, so you know it's I think we've potentially got the easier schedule um, with the the game sandwiched in between the double header with the Bucks versus playing the Tennessee Titans, but then they've got they've got two two uh, home home games in a row, so you know back to back, so you know that that stands in their favour. I don't know I don't know how much a a home crowd is advantage in in uh, in Nashville, but um, but certainly you probably rather have the games at home than you would on the road. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, mean, I think we'll, I think we'll, I think we'll be able to sneak it, and then I wouldn't be surprised if we went to Tampa and lost, and it was all down to week seventeen. That would be probably a good microcosm of the season, but we'll we'll see how it goes. I just wanted to, before we finish up, I just wanted to pick on uh, both our uh, mutual uh, uh, um, dismay for uh, Cleveland and Baker Mayfield, and I, I thought it was an interesting story when. Uh, when Odell Beckham's now telling teams that they've played this year to get them, get get them out of there, the Cleveland effect seems to be uh, seems to be uh, alive and well. And and uh, Baker threw a couple of couple of picks again this weekend, and uh, he seems to look like he seems to look a bit more scruffy at every press conference that goes by this this season. And uh, I think he's feeling the heat because he's one of these guys. I don't know a bit like Deshaun. I think that whole generation of quarterbacks read press clippings too much uh, but you can see it's taking a toll on him and the big trade looks like he's walking out of there and whether his agent will be able to force one or not I don't know but I uh, I thought I thought about your you you probably have a similar opinion to me when I saw that story yeah I think uh, you know Baker Mayfield looks more and more like one of the robbers from Home Alone every week it seems like um, <laughs> uh, you know 
Baker just just doesn't know when to stop talking. And uh, sure, he reads the news, you know, the news clippings and articles and all that stuff, all the tweets. He sees all that. Uh, and you know, I don't blame Odell Beckham. You know, Odell. You know, one of the things that Odell is not getting any credit for this year <clears throat> is his ability to stay out of the news. And given you know the coverage of this team and uh, Baker Mayfield, Freddie Kitchens, just so many storylines and things that are coming out and the negativity that's around it. Uh, you know, I applaud Odell Beckham for coming in this year. Uh, he hasn't been uh, the diva that he was known for in New York. He's come in and been completely different. It seems like he's really about the game and the team, and he's doing what he can. And, you know, I don't blame him. Get out of there. Like, you know, you're a top three wide receiver in this league, and it's not working. And I don't blame him for wanting to go to a team where he has a chance. You know, a lot of people are saying uh, Dallas. I don't. Dallas doesn't have the draft capital to be able to make a move for that. Uh, I mean, technically they do. You know, at, but I just with Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, and their contract situations, I don't think that that'll be you know the the place he goes. But I'm glad that Odell is doing that. You know, I think it's funny. You know, everybody crowned these guys as Super Bowl favorites and. Baker Mayfield being the best quarterback in the league and blah, blah, blah. And then you just look at this team and they're not very good and they have no reason to not be very good. And Baker Mayfield is just average and it's only his second year. So he has an opportunity to turn it around, but you know, all these news, you know, breaking news stories that come out of Cleveland are just, it's just shocking to me. You know, he throws the, the medical team under the bus. Why? Like why even comment on it? Why not have the the mental capacity to know that when you're asked that question to not say anything? Um, it's just embarrassing. It's just hilarious to watch. I'm, I'm so glad that he just continues to go down this down, downward spiral. And, um, you know, Browns fans deserve it for all the trash they talked in the offseason. Yes. <laughs> I know you, your timeline was fill, filled with uh, Browns comments and you know, I, I said on the podcast previously that I think it's the Mayfield getting slotted above Watson in the the top hundred. I think that's been settled quite firmly this year. But uh, it was it's uh, it's been a interesting demise here. I think I don't know if it's something in the water or there's just the franchise that's doomed. I think you you know I sometimes think that about the Texans. Whatever they do, it seems to be a similar result. But I think they are even more so in that position. Um, but uh, an interesting one. He's not a likeable guy, Mayfield, that's for sure. And uh, he seems to be able to talk his way into the trouble just like he did with Duke Johnson when he was there and about him not, you know, not being wanting a trade and, you know, he's talked about very, you know, talked about the the uh, the, the helmet swinging incident, uh, and instead of just, you know, say you know, maybe dismissing it. I think he maybe needs to go on O'Brien's uh, media coaching course where he just answer every 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 uh, Every answer with them just trying to be a good teammate and learn the playbook, so he could maybe benefit from some of that. Uh, it, it was it was ridiculed at the time, but there's some definite truth in it. Last one I wanted to touch on was just the uh, the Patriots. Uh, I think it seems like actually an innocent uh, standard, but you never know um, of them filming a series apparently, um, and I don't know why they'd film a one team Cincinnati play calls. Um, but uh, I just thought, you know, with that and the, obviously the, that and the Astros being in the news about, you know, filming various things that uh, I thought it was, I thought it was uh, worth picking up on it. They, they claim complete innocence as they always have done. And obviously there's no smoke without fire and they've got a history of bending the rules or if you ain't cheating, you aren't trying. But uh, it certainly, uh, certainly seems to follow them around. I think they've got a, a, 
uh, a checkered past with uh, bending the rules. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of this just comes from their past, right? Um, you know, the things they've been caught with, you know, deflate gate, spy gate, just so many different things that, you know, this has, this is a story. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this just kind of goes away as, you know, you're right. Like, it's the Bengals. Um, you know, the, the Patriots are having their struggles, but I don't think anybody, including Vegas, had any thought that the Bengals would beat the Patriots this, you know, upcoming Sunday. Um, but because of what they've done in the past, this is the story because they have shown a propensity to cheat. And, uh, you know, whether they're filming the Do Your Job documentary or whatever it would be, uh, it's it still opened them up to a investigation. And, you know, when when it comes to the Browns, you know, I, why weren't the Bengals included in, in the um, and, and, and knowing of the filming, you know, that is a bit strange. You, you have to ask yourself, you know, why wasn't anything sent over to the Bengals? And I, I guess what I wonder is, you know, with this documentary, how, you know, what other games this year has this been a thing and it just hasn't been brought up yet. Um, so, you know, I think that there's a chance that this could turn into something, but it's the Bengals. Like, I don't think that they were looking for a competitive advantage against the Bengals, especially Andy Dalton led Bengals. Um, but you know, it's a story nonetheless because the Patriots, you know, they always have something. Whether it's Bob Kraft uh, going and getting his happy ending or Spygate, Deflategate. I mean, there's just always something with this team when it comes to um, the, you know, the negative media coverage, and uh, we'll see what happens. But um, it's just it, it's quite funny to see, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, let's let's hope the uh, the Goodell and the uh, randomizer of punishments that they hand out uh, falls heavily on them again. Even if there's uh, even if there's a modicum of truth in their alibi, we'll we'll, uh, we'll take some punishment for them because they the uh, they can they can take everything they're given. I think, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, maybe they'll uh, force Casario like, to uh, to Houston. Maybe that'll be the punishment. Well, yeah, yeah, probably that's end up one for another day. But yeah, that seems strange that he's now not interested in the job that he supposedly upset so many people in the building that he was interested in the. Job, oh no, so. he's interested in the job. You think so? Oh uh, yeah, he turned down an yeah. extension in Boston. Yeah, because it was just the before the Patriots game. It, the it was Rappaport's report that came out that said that. Texas plan to move on without a GM, but you never. I mean, it's it's. Uh, you always get a shower of media news when you're on prime time, regardless if it's true or not. Yeah, I have a source in Boston that uh, texted me four weeks ago that told me that uh, uh, Casario turned down a three-year extension with the Patriots and um, has every intention of joining the Texans organization. So, yeah, I think we need another. I think it's always good to have another perspective in the building because O'Brien's an emotional guy at times, and I think you know the closer aides he has might you know balance him out a bit. But look, he's done a good job. Uh, off the field, you can't really fault him for that. But uh, all these, all these moves, I'll, I'll find out Sunday. But um, young Larry Gold from the Texas Unfiltered podcast, absolutely so appreciative of your time, mate. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch up with you soon. Absolutely, thank you so much. And that's all we've got time for again on this week's edition of the Turn Up For What podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks to young Ari Golden. Thanks to Tom for helping us break down Sunday's rather forgettable defeat to the Denver Broncos. It's on to Nashville as the playoffs start now this Sunday. Hopefully the short of this team can turn this season around and make sure we see the playoffs with a home field advantage. Wherever you're listening from, wherever you're downloading from, we are Texans.